Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you, my friend? Oh, hi. I'm going to do the turn to camera. Oh, oh. so good to see everybody. Well, you got to do like the newsman, you know, like where they're <laughs> there. It's like, you know, and Hugh Downs. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. What is the strategy with the whole thing when they're purposely looking at the wrong camera? You know oh, I mean? like, like when it goes to distance, camera yeah. one, but they're still talking to camera two. And you yeah, know it's, it's like, on purpose because they very strategically in the right. middle of that sentence will turn. Right. Is that just a thing because they figured the, the being too on cue was cheesy? So this is how we're going to mix, make it feel more natural. Well, I feel like that. I feel like that kind of view is almost voyeuristic, you know, mm. because it gives you the feeling that you're watching a production. Yes. That's what that's how I that's how I feel. That's like a that. great point. Yeah. Yeah, and that gives it a whole different feel. It's right. uh it's naturalism, I guess, right? Yeah, it's something like, like that. Something I, like that. Cuz you see that uh, especially on news commercials. Like I'm really fascinated especially in Richmond here cuz I watch football all the time with these news commercials, these horrible news commercials where they really th- I maybe maybe people do like they're like, "Yeah, I love, you know, Adam Smith on ABC News or whatever right? Not on in the Richmond area, but it's like, "Who what is going on here? And they have those kinds of commercials where you see them reporting, talking, but it's like being voyeuristically viewed from another angle. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was the way that was like so, at some point somebody invented that thing of like, now we're going to do it like this is a bold new. Yeah, definitely. A bold new approach. It, it's know? probably named after someone, the person who did it, the the Sherman approach. or so. <laughs> well, how's life over there in, in Pennsylvania? We're recording knockback. Of course, our weekly retro and nostalgia podcast you can get it a week early on patreon no ads patreon.com slash last media lots of perks over there including submitting ideas for the show your questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas for our show although we, we don't have any of those this week because this is a bit of a personal episode for us you're out of here but so get out, out. but no don't get out. Don't let's get let's uh let's stretch our legs first all and, right of course and uh, i'm just curious how how, how life uh, is anything interesting to catch us up on or you know what my friend i wanted to talk to you about this because this was a really interesting a little eerie but kind of interesting experience i had recently with something so have you watched have you started cobra kai yet have you started the series yet i haven't although hey i gotta say real quick because i've been thinking about you with this because i know how much you love it yes i'm enjoying i saw that they apparently are going to keep going for several more seasons or that's their intention is that right yeah i knew there was actually got kind of giddy about i got giddy about that because I know you like it, but I also love having things in the chamber that are that long. Absolutely. That I've never seen. So when I really feel like it, I can just delve in. But anyway, go on. Cobra That's Kai. nice to know they're building a body of work. They promised, I think at the end of this season, and I won't spoil anything for you guys. They did promise that there's going to be another season is confirmed, but I'm, I'm, it's nice to know that that's not because I think like Stranger Things has one more season, but then it's definitely over if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, those kids are getting too old. I don't know how, how they're going to. Yeah, exactly. How are you going to make that work? Can't work with child actors. <laughs> but with this one, it's nice to know that there's a body of work yet to come. Indeed. But you know, it's it's funny. The series as a whole so far, now we finish season four for those who are up to date. I think the series has definitely gotten better and better. So it's nice to see it improve. 
Shouts out to William Zapka, by the way. That we're going to see a lot of him. He's not only is he wonderful in the role, and who knew we were going to get this? Think back to 1984, 85 to think we were going to get this much Johnny. But it's so good. It's such a great character. But he's also just a like a bona fide proper actor. Like he's just really good. And so I'm excited about that. The series wrapped up, but I had a very interesting experience with it this particular season because as I was watching, especially in the first half of the episodes. I was sort of daydreaming and ideating a little bit and coming up with things that I think would, would have been cool to see. And I wasn't just channeling Karate Kid-isms. I was channeling 80s-isms in general, like thinking of different 80s films, iconic 80s things, and saying to myself, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they did this? And then three or four times, I would say, between the episodes of one and five, say, it actually happened. And I was like, wow, this is actually strange. I loved that level of thoughtful sort of fan service. But also, I thought it was really kind of strange to be so connected to things. Because it would be one thing if you were a Karate Kid fan and said, oh, wouldn't it be cool to call in this reference or this character or this location, whatever, or this thing that happened and sort of play and play that up. But to to just call on random 80s things and then think of that and then to have them think of the same thing and actually do it was really strange. And some of the things were kind of, I don't want to ruin anything, but some of the things were kind of not huge 80s things. I would say more um, cultish, culty 80s things. And so I, that had never happened to me before with anything, be it a nostalgic thing or just a general IP, where it was like they were doing the things I was thinking of. Almost in a systematic fashion, you know, half a dozen times or something had happened. And I thought that was a lot of a lot of fun, but it was also a little bit scary. A little bit scary. A little eerie. A little, yeah, eerie. It's a little eerie. Well, it, it maybe goes to show you that you're you know how you there could be a Venn diagram of you and many different IPR licenses that you could probably creatively work on. Sure. And maybe that tells you that's true for all of us, by the way. But it, it, maybe that tells you that the Venn diagram of you and Karate Kid is more of like a circle and that you would actually make a great deal of sense as a storyteller in that world. So, yeah, just be being connected to you to as well, it, right? Well, because I know it means something to you, so it could be a compliment to you as well. It's the same as like Star Wars will never do what I want it to do. So I don't feel like it's really for me or talking to me or giving me a heads up or a thumb, you know, thumbs up or a a wink ever. Never. Yeah. So so to have an IP sync with you like that, I feel like that a little bit with G.I. Joe right now. It's that's good. It's uh, it's fun to hear. But tell me this. Do they in that show, do they bring in bit characters like his crew or anyone like that. They have called in a lot of past characters that we'd saw over the film franchise. That's They're, awesome. So, and so they, they make it good. They, they actually, it's not done in a cheesy way. I mean, the show is very, um, the show does have a lot of comedy in it and including self effacing stuff where they kind of make fun of themselves, which is, which is really, I think a lot of fun. Blends that with the drama very well. There's a nice balance of drama and levity because I think if this series got too serious, it would cross over into cheese and they're very careful with that. But yeah, they definitely are pulling in stuff from the film franchise. So, which I think works in two ways. If you're not a huge Karate Kid fan of old, I think you could still enjoy the series. If you are a fan of the original franchise, you're definitely going to get those 
larger and smaller Easter eggs are going to be very satisfying for you. They, they they do a great job. And you know what? The, the the seasons have gotten systematically better. And I think the episodes in season four got better from A to Z too. So they ended on a really they ended on a really a nice high note going into season five. It's a it's a it's a lot of fun. And I love your comparison to Star Wars, Kyle, because when you have a very a much smaller universe like the Karate Kid universe that we knew that this series sprang out of, I think it is a lot easier to be on the same page as the creators. Where if you have something very broad and huge, where the scope and the breadth is just enormous, like Star Wars. It's just easier. It's just hard to align expectations. And I think that's what we've learned the hard way with Star Wars over the last 10 years or so, or maybe even dating all the way back to the prequels, right? Mm. Where it's like, it's just going to be very difficult for everybody to be on the same page as far as being satisfied as to what we get and sort of locking our visions together because we all have disparate visions of what we want to see with a with something broad like star wars so sure. that's a great connect that's a great point that you made well what i what i love it's so it's true because in this in a sense the the star wars movies i love the most outside of the original trilogy are the spin-off movies rogue one and solo i think those movies are awesome and in solo i, I think we saw it together so you might recall i think they make a bosque reference in there yes and that was it was just a reference someone just said his name and it was just like they were talking and it just went right by and that to me spoke where I was like, yeah, that's great. Why isn't why can't we just mention Bosk and just move on as if, yeah, they know him and we can't hire him and all that. We move on to this different character. Absolutely. As opposed to what Star Wars really is, which is like, oh, you like Boba Fett? We're going to ruin him. <laughs> going to cram him. Yeah. We, I am you, very interested yeah. to see what you're going to think of the Mandalorian. No, I've already seen the, with the helmet off shots and everything. And I, I'm just like, no, <laughs> I don't. No. I'm just my answer is no. And it it to me, maybe it'll be yes one day. See, I was talking on a different podcast about how Disney is so flippant in China that I just have no interest in even giving them the benefit mm. of the doubt. So anything they do, I'm just like, nah, unless it's really something compelling. And I know people are really into the Mandalorian. I know the book of Boba Fett or whatever is really compelling. To yeah, people, book of but, Boba Fett's another one for you. But I'm just like, why are you doing this? to him? <laughs> You need time. I think you need time away. It's like it's like being in a relationship. And we talked about this on our Star Wars yeah. topics. You need time to sort of like clear your mind, get a new set of eyes. And that could take years with something the like book Star of Wars. IG-88 88 is what we're going to get next. The book of <laughs> Mean Numb. Book of each bounty hunter on that bridge. Yeah, exactly. Right? The, book, the book of Forlom. <laughs> seven, seven seasons. The of book that. of Boba Fett, man. I've been me and dad were arguing at first because I didn't like the first episode and he loved it. But as it goes yeah, on, I'm, I'm liking dad's it more. It, I'm liking it more. Oh, okay, cool. I yeah, am. dad, dad, well, I was talking to dad. I mean, dad's just into the, dad's in. like really into the, to like the universe. He's loving like, all him. this shit. Yeah, they got him hook, like, they hook, line, him. and sinker. He, <laughs> he, it's so funny. He, and I think I told, I think I might have been the one that told him, I'm like, you know, Amazon's making a Lord of the Rings like $100 million an episode situation, right? And I think that really like opened his eyes. Although I think he like, uh, you know, me is just like kind of being like, why, you know, we already had a really good rendition. I got to check book. in on that. I lost touch with that whole story. Although I see it's in the news again. Yeah, it's always in. I, I kind of just gloss over when I see shit like that. I anyway. hear you. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll wait until it. I'll wait until it comes out. Maybe I'll check it out. But what's going on with you? How you been? I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah, nothing, nothing too interesting on our end. Just been 
just been working. I wanted to bring up a game to you. I don't think I don't know if you're familiar to, with it, but I was curious about its theme and how it might resonate with you or why these things resonate with us. So I've been playing Persona 4. Okay. For I'm probably in the 50s in terms of hours now. And as people out there know, I am obsessive with game clocks. Like I will not let the game clock run. I've even reset games that I've gotten the clock all fucked up <laughs> and started so again. I'm so bad with that myself. But Yeah, like I like I need to know exactly how much how time long. I spent. Right. And PS5 is pretty good at doing that now because it actually has like a meta level where it tells you all that stuff, but but I'm playing on Vita and I had tried it in 2000. It came out in 2012 on Vita. I tried it in 2015 on Vita. I just wasn't into it. I tried it again in 2019 when I was in LA. I got like 20 hours and I just wasn't into it. I finally restarted it and I earnestly and eagerly went into it and I really started to, to get it. And I think it's a really wonderful game. And for people that don't know, it's, these Persona games are usually about, I have not played the others yet, but they're about like groups of kids at a school and their kind of connection with each other socially. and this supernatural world that they deal with and they fight and do all this kind of stuff. And it's very Japanese. But one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up was because I find it just incredibly endearing. Every once in a while, a game, I find it's particularly Japanese stuff, I guess, where it's too corny, it's too campy, it's whatever. There's a bunch of Japanese names for all this, like Isekai, I think, and all that, whatever the fuck kind of names are out there. Right, right, for right. For all these different genres and subgenres and feels and all this. But what I really like about it is this focus on family and friends. And I was curious, the one question I wanted to ask you was, what is it about high school that makes people want to revisit it in some fictional and, and weird way? Like, I'm a 37-year-old man. I'm playing a game where these kids are maybe 16, 17. Okay. They're dating each other. I'm making choices in this regard. They're educational choices and how they spend their time. Persona is really cool because... It it really strikes me as a my it hits my OCD. The only reason I'm able to get through it right now is because I'm using a walkthrough. Because the, and the reason is is because and people have been asking what it is. I've been sending it to them because it's a whole calendar year, and every day you have to make certain choices, and then just things happen and get locked out. And it's like a, it's not very butterfly effecty. It's just that you have to play very deliberately to see and do everything. And I hate games where I feel like I'm missing something. Yes, that's a bad. So I've been one. enjoying. I've been enjoying it for that reason because okay. I know I'm not missing anything. Okay. And I want, but I wanted to ask you, throw it back at you. Like, what is it about about that that maybe maybe some people? If I told someone that wasn't familiar with games or anime, yeah, I'm playing a game about 16 year olds. I'm like choosing who to date, watching them go on these adventures, fighting in this world. It's campy. It's weird. We don't know their parents, but I'm like really engaged and quite emotionally attached to them. What is it about that? And do you think it's something that's because we have things in America that are like teen dramas and all that, of course. But sure. don't you feel like it's something that is Japanese? Specifically, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's always yeah, if something in Japanese storytelling, specifically in manga and anime, traditionally, where, yeah, a lot of the stuff and a lot of the appeal for that for me, even as a kid, a lot of the stuff is centered around young people whether it be younger kids or teenagers or maybe kids, you know, people in their early 20s, young adults. That was always a hook for me as a kid because I was like, wow. And I've talked about this before on the show, I know, but that kind of flew in the face of American or Western superheroes for me where it was like, all right, Batman and Superman, they're these adults and, you know, the leotard and tights and the cape and the superhero, but it was all centered around and even the villains, you know, they were all, they all seemed to be adults and there was something something captivating about those worlds and superpowers and conflict and all of that stuff. But in 
Japanese stuff and manga and anime, what I found there was so much more interesting as a little kid because I was like, wow, this is a story about big kids. And I was all about, at that age, we're all about looking up to the actual big kids in the neighborhood. And this was just like the media version of that. It's like, what are they getting up to? You know, they're hanging out, they're doing these things, they're more sophisticated, they're dating, they're hanging out with girls. For us, it was like, wow, they're hanging out with girls, they're playing instruments, maybe they play the guitar, the rock music, punk rock, like that whole angle, the fashions. It was so interesting. It was like, wow, what are those big kids getting up to? So I think it's definitely that. And then also, if you think of just media and novels and film and TV and storytelling in general, Kyle, it's interesting because if you center it on teenagers, that's such an interesting age because that's the transitional period between being a kid and being an adult. And there's so much nuance and so much complicated in that in that age bracket, right? You're going from being a kid to being an adult. You're sort of leaving childhood and forwarding, you know, going forward with your life as far as like concentrating on education. Where am I going to go? I'm preparing for college and by and through that preparing for my life and career and discovering relationships and sex and drugs and fashion and music and all those kind of things and going through different phases. And I think that it's a twofold thing. It's interesting because there's so much nuance there and it's complicated and we could relate to it. But also, I think it elicits our sympathy a little bit because we remember that period, the confusion, the excitement, the bad decisions, the good decisions, the friendships, the broken friendships, the failed relationships, discovering every all everything for the first time. I mean, discovering literally everything for the first time, lying to your parents trying to do well in school, failing at school, you know, sex, maybe drugs, alcohol, experiment parties, you know, just and just like maybe the disappointment of leaving your childhood behind and still clinging to that a little bit. So Certainly. all of those things, it just makes it so much more interesting. Even to me now as a 48-year-old man, like I would rather probably watch stories about that. I think even back to like Red Dawn, why was that so you know, when I was 10 years old, why was that so alluring to me? And it was like, wow, because I could see like myself and the older kids, my contemporaries in the neighborhood, maybe my friends, older siblings or something being in that situation. It's a little more relatable, you know, so than than the adult stuff. And I think a little more fun. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you hit on something too specifically for me with just the that yearning. That gnawing that you can't go back and live this innocent mm, life absolutely. and where your biggest problems are the adults or whatever, you know what, you know what a show you missed for sure. But that I really loved was the secret world of Alex Mack. Oh yeah. I don't know it. And, and, um, that show was very similar where it was just like kids versus adults. Mm. And I actually think Pete and Pete was very much like that too. <laughs> Great, but that was much, but that was in a much more comedic way. Like Alex Mack was like super, almost like a superhero kind of situation. But I gotta check that out. But with with it's by you know who I can't I can never remember her. I can remember her name, but I can never. Um, Secret World, you'll know exactly who it is because she is in Mad Men. Oh, it, the girl that plays her is yeah, Larissa Olenek. Olenek. Okay, and who, who she, did she play in Mad Men? In Mad Men, she plays Cynthia Cosgrove, so Cosgrove's wife. Oh, yes. That's right. 
That's Ken. So that's that's where you would know her from. Okay. But that just that just came to mind for me of like this this adventurous sort of thing. And I know here's what I know is that I know people are going to hear this stuff and be like, man, we got to do a knockback about persona, persona Absolutely. game. And I say it's all but over dig, my radar. I, I say this, you know, beware because Dagan, I don't know how Dagan takes so much time getting through games, but I can't even imagine how long it would take you to get through a persona. They're game. lengthy. It, I know that. Yeah. It's like a whole year. So holy and, shit. Yeah. And so yeah, it would be really interesting. I would love to do that with you one day, but that'd be great. But I think we're tempting fate with that because we have so many other games on the list right now that are like I'm I'm interested to see we're going to do Red Dead Redemption, I think, in March. Oh, I'm so excited. And I'm, and I'm interested to see how long that takes you to do the first one. Yeah, number one. Yep. The second one is so long and I'm never probably going to play it again. Oh, the second one's longer, huh? Oh, my God. The second one is huge. Oh, it's awesome. I didn't know that. It's, a, it's, it's the second one is like superb. It's just so big, so big, uh, too big. All right, that's what she said. Dagan. Oh, hey. Uh, I gotta do my. Gotta do it. Do it. Do my my uh, dice. The dice, dice, dice man. man. Colin did the wraparound arm for those of you who aren't watching with the smoke. Oh, I, yeah, I got my vape. I got my vape. <laughs> why did he do that? I don't know. I don't know why he did that. So he smart weird... though, because no one yeah. else has ever done it and will never do it. Yeah, never do. Yeah. So it's his. Hickory Ultimate dickory game. dock. All right. <laughs> Dave, today's episode of Knockback is all about vacations, times away as kids, places we would go. And uh, I'm curious what you're going to say, because I think we're going to have pretty different answers. I'm especially intrigued by, I think, a couple things you'll bring up, which I think are going to be funny. But there are things I want to bring up, too, that I think we shared and then a few things that I did on my own. But I want to start and I always kick it over to you first. You can begin. But when you think of family vacations, when you think of being a kid and going away. Yeah. What do you think of? Because we weren't. Really a family that went and did very much. Right. All right. Colin. First of all, I'm very excited to do this topic because selfishly, I love a good story. Right. And we talk about this a lot. A good yarn. A good yarn. Mm -hmm. You and I talk about this, especially from family. We love, we're always imploring mom and dad to tell us a story from when they were growing up. I always love that shit. So when you and I have a conversational topic like this, I love it because I know that I'm going to hear at least some details from you about stuff that I've never heard before. So it's fun for me. Yeah. I, I, you know, I really enjoy it. Now, I had to, I don't think, I don't know if I'm going to go sequentially. I'm still, debating that, but I'm going to start with my earliest vacation memory. Family vacation. What's really particularly cool about this one is that this dates back so far that this was a whole nother time, place, age, era. This is Allie was either not born or a baby, our sister Allie. And you weren't on the radar yet. So this is like a whole nother a whole nother other, right? This even dates back to the late 70s, I would say. And this of all my vacation tales today, I had to actually consult mom. I had to run this by mom because it's so long ago. It's so weird even thinking about it because it has like, picture my memories. It has this like warm, golden yellowish, transparent film over the whole thing. Like you're looking at it like a 19, very 1970s, 
beta home movie. So a little bit fuzzy. Framey. Yeah. <laughs> right. But and the other weird thing about this is that kind of vetting the story with mom, I was conflating two different memories. I had imagined this as a camping trip that we had gone with our Uncle Hal and Aunt Maureen, Aunt Maureen being one of dad's sisters in Connecticut, where they used to live actually in Derby or something like that. But it had nothing to do with, apparently this had nothing to do with Uncle Hal or Aunt Maureen or Connecticut. So I had to, in in kind of running the facts by mom, mom sort of corrected me a little bit. And she was even a little fuzzy on certain details. But to my best recollection, to our best recollection, this took place in upstate New York, Orange County-ish, not too far upstate, in Bear Mountain, where mom and dad, I guess, used to like to go camping, and it was one of their spots. And a very late 70s, I'm figuring I could I could have been anywhere from four to seven years old. And this could even be a mixture of two separate camping trips. But it was camping with the fam, little kid, and just whatever memories I could pull out of it. So... Bear Mountain, New York, which I haven't been since these memories, so I have no idea. But I do remember it being very pretty and picturesque. You know, picture the big scenic forests, a very big lake, trails, a cool campsite. It wasn't an isolated like thing in the wilderness where we were the only family around. There were definitely other people. But it didn't feel overcrowded. I remember it was in the summertime, very warm. And here's the kicker about this memory. No matter when it, when it was from like 1976 through like 1980, say, mom and dad were in their 20s still. That's the crazy part. I always love thinking about Can that. Can you even imagine? Because they had me when no. they were 22. So they couldn't no, have been any older than just, 29. Just, just to answer your question, no. It's crazy. I can't imagine. It's crazy uh, to think about. I, mom was younger than me when she had me, obviously. Right. I just, it's crazy to think about the different experiences through that lens. And also the, the way people kind of talk about how the, the family, the nuclear family has kind of changed and gotten deeper. People have started, started later and so on and so forth. Absolutely. That was a different era for, for all of that. And it really puts you in a time warp perspective because now looking back as a 48-year-old man thinking about my parents – 20 years my junior it's like it's strange to think about and you look at pictures of them from that time period and they look even younger than that you know they look like i feel like lily is going to look as old as mom in some of these memories soon my daughter well so I, it's when, very I saw lilia, when i saw lilia at thanksgiving lilia looks like is like looking like it looks like an adult she's basically. a young woman now yeah you know I'm like, 14 what? years old going on 15 it's, it's yeah I'm like, when i saw her, i was like what like, <laughs> so strange you're like a per like i, I keep this i always make the boys laugh because i'm like slowly all the nieces and nephews have become what i call people right like not little little hurricanes and like things you can't you don't feel like you can really communicate you don't understand each other at right. all until absolutely they get it to a certain age and then it's so suddenly true. they all become people you know <laughs> that you have like they have like personalities and individual yeah relationships they turn, yeah, I love that's, that. a, that's anyway. perfectly said they become little humans right it is. It's so. It's As so opposed strange. to like appendages of their parents or their families. I can't even imagine. Well, I go through that too. What you go through with with my kids, I go through with our nephews and and our niece Ayla because it's the same thing. You don't see them for six months, maybe even a year, and then you. It's like whoa, what? So, so this is a mixture of visions for me. I do remember mom and dad being very young. Of course, our mom and dad were notorious hippies. 
they had the whole thing with the gear and smoking a little doobage. They had the Volkswagen bus, camper bus, which I remember as being a part of this memory. And I remember having a great time. I remember it being very warm. I remember, of course, Dana being there for this memory. Mom reminded me of a, of a specific memory from this trip that she was like, don't, don't say it because Dana Dana's going to be pissed, but I'm going to say it. So, and I remember bits and pieces of this. We were out on the lake, on the main lake, on little paddle boats, those little boats that you pedal. They're actually a pain in the ass, those things. But I remember being out with the family and I remember this. Dana had to go to the bathroom, but we were out on the lake. Like it was going to take 15, 20 minutes to paddle back in. And mom had no choice but to encourage her to pee in the paddle boat. <laughs> now, maybe it's not too, I mean, we're, we're channeling like a four-year-old Dana, our sister Dana, of course. And uh, I do remember that. And I do remember Dana being like embarrassed and being like, but mom and uh, me and dad might have been in the other paddle boat. So we were kind of watching and laughing and stuff. And then I remember bits and pieces of different things. I remember having the nice tents like we had good gear. We had the separate dining tent with the table and like the food stuff. So maybe the little sternos and pots and pans for cooking, all that thing. So mom and dad were avid campers. So they were like well equipped. Mom said there was a thing one night. I guess we were there for a week or a weekend or something. Mom said there was the, one night, apparently they ran afoul of some kind of animal. Mom still thinks it's a bear, but dad said it was a raccoon. Broke into the dining tent, got into one of the coolers and took a bunch of food. And mom was like, well, what kind of raccoon can possibly handle that feat? But I know now as an adult that raccoons work, not only are they very smart, but they work as groups and they have the opposable thumbs and everything like that. sure so, you they're, know, ev they're, they're evolving Slowly they're eternally. capable of some i've had a i let me put it to you this way early on living in this neighborhood very rural where i'm at now now a decade in but very early on i was coming home from work driving home from new york from the train station and a line of raccoons formed across the road and wouldn't let me pass and they were looking, standing on their hind legs. It's like 1130 at night, right? I'm driving down Dark Hollow Road. Here comes, uh, I'm like, what the fuck is that? A line of raccoons standing on their hind legs, just shoulder to shoulder, forming a barricade in the middle of the road. I'm like, what is happening right now? So they're capable. <laughs> Still not sure what they were getting up to. <laughs> We're not going to let that go. All right. Anyway, go on. But that, you know, so that was really the kicker for me. This is the coolest part about this is that's a very early vacation memory. I still am in my old age maintaining bits and pieces of these recollections and just really the food, hanging out with family. I do remember that campsite. It was like where the tents were. It was like the carpet of pine needles. And I remember the smell, that fresh scent. And the thick canopy above us, which gave us shade from the from the heat. I remember feeling like, oh, this is cool because it was not only was it my first family vacation that I remember, but it was probably my first time camping or first two times camping, which I think was cool. And just thinking back to those mid to late 70s, very, very hippie vibe type thing. I remember doing ceramics, like there was a little ceramics, I guess, bungalow or something where you could go and do ceramics. And I had that little ceramic truck that I painted for years on my dresser. You know, and wouldn't even think about that trip. It, it's like mm. one of those things that becomes more important to you and more key to your family memories as you get older because you're getting further, you're distancing yourself further and further from that. 
happening. Definitely. So this happened for Things don't even feel real ago. anymore. They're so right. Old. Right. So that was, and it was cool. It was cool to run one of the, I like to tell these, I like to kind of tell these stories and relate it to you guys to my best recollection. But this one, I felt like I had to kind of run things by mom because it was so sort of muddied in my mind. But it was nice to get a little bit of clarification and just hold on to those memories a little longer. And again, like, this is before we really knew Allie. This is before we knew Colin. So going with dating back and and dating me of definitely yeah, like a Gen X, <laughs> you know, a Gen X memory. For maybe, me. maybe Allie was conceived during one of those trips. Gross. Uh, we'll get to that later on. Oh, man. With somebody else who may or may not have been conceived during a particular trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, I, two tuned. things came up here before before I move on to my first thing, which is just uh, I don't think I ever said this story. I don't think dad would mind. I mean, was really going to mind that I, I smoked weed with dad in California when he came and visited me, which I is was one of the very coolest memories that I think I have as an adult. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I just got him so stoned. And he, he said to me, I was we were just walking around the street smoking as I was walking the dog. And he's like, you smoke this entire thing. That's what he said to me. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, dad. He's like, this is much different than what we used to smoke. Also, dad. Yeah, I know. Jesus Christ. And <laughs> also the tree. It was funny. You were talking about the tree. This this tree scent. We got a real Christmas tree, which I I, I want to do that kind of stuff. Oh, you like got one this Christmas year? Trees. Yeah. And but we had to get rid of it. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to get rid of this thing now? I have a friend, John, who's a builder in the area. He's doing work for me, but he's a buddy of mine. And when he came over a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you want to just take this rug and throw it in one of your dumpsters. So so I'm like slowly getting rid of things. <laughs> That's for awesome. John, but. but uh i had this uh, this christmas tree so it was it it created this great atmosphere it was beautiful or whatever and then i just dragged it into the garage and i just took a hack like a saw and just fucking cut it apart and it just smelled so good as i was doing it but the aesthetic was so violent as i was trying to shove it into the garbage can (laughs) any way i could i got rid of the whole thing yeah oh my god my hands were so fucked (laughs) from the sap but it was yeah so anyway all right dig my first memory that I want to share, these are somewhat sequential, is I have very specific memories of our family trip to California in 1992, oh, summer of yes. 1992. Now, in thinking about how this all lined up, it makes a little more sense. Mom and dad get separated in February. So this seems to be like a reactionary family trip to go see dad's brother, who was an he is I think still an executive at FedEx, but at that time he was an executive at FedEx in California. Yeah. Then he moved to Tennessee where they're located and all that. And then maybe Pennsylvania. I don't know where the hell he is now, but uncle Mike, but he's the other uncle Mike. Nomenclature. We call him uncle Michael. Uncle Mike. So we went and visited him and I'm curious what you remember of this trip, because I actually have like some strange specific memories of it. One thing I remember is we were on a plane old enough or big enough. Like it's very rare for a massive, plane to be crossing the united states these days usually it's like three seats on one side three seats on the other international flights could be something like five seats on one side six in the middle five on the other right and there are all these different depending on what kind of plane you're flying all these different configurations but i remember that we had a configuration where seats faced each other and i remember dana and ali playing cards with this ran these random dudes that were on the plane like so that's one memory I that's have. funny I don't and i wonder that. if they remember that as well I also remember that we had gotten our Super Nintendo like months earlier and I had the Super Mario World instruction manual with me and I was just obsessing <laughs> over it the entire time we were That gone. is awesome. The third thing I remember about this trip is 
I went to a toy store and got Flak Viper, which is a really great 1992 release G.I. Joe that I got in California. And I also got the Cobra Eel, the 1992 redo of the Eel in California as well. So I remember grabbing those and those toys are still those pieces exist in my collection. So cool. And I remember seeing the movie Three Ninjas. Oh, I don't know if you what? remember that movie. I don't. Yeah, it was like an action comedy about these ninja, these kids, three brothers that like train in ninjutsu with this master. And then he gets like kidnapped and they go and like fuck the dudes up. And like one brother is like the leader. I think his name was Colt. And then one was like the middle kid was like kind of like nuts. And then the little kid was like a fat. I think his name was Tum Tum and he was like a fat fuck. And he would like. I remember but, that movie, but I don't remember seeing him there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was either it was. It was, yeah, Three Ninjas, I think, is what it was. It was definitely Three Ninjas. so funny. And I just remember kind of what you were describing about that glossiness. It reminds me of when I would watch, like, soap operas randomly, and they would show California, like, like situational shots of California. That's kind of how I remember it. That just the palm trees and just the warm weather. California, I mean, I know well as an adult, having lived there for 12 years, it's, it's uh, or no, 13 years, is, is it's, it's just different. It, it just is. feels different. It looks different. It smells different. The sky is different. The people are different. Everything's different. You could put me in just you could like shut my eyes and somehow put me and be like, I'm going to put you in a Walmart. And you tell me if it's in California or in Virginia. And yeah. I'll tell you in five seconds just by walking around. Yeah. You know? I look at the prices or anything. So. I wonder what you remember of that trip, because I. I a big part of that trip too is that we went to Disneyland and that was a big deal because we had gone to Disney World probably like five times or something by this point. So, or you had, I think I had gone like three at that point. Okay. And so, and I'd yeah, gone after yeah. that as well, but Disneyland we had gone to. So I remember that as well, but, and I remember vaguely staying with Uncle Mike and getting to his house and just getting picked up at the airport. There's a lot instilled in me on this trip and I don't know why. What do you remember about it? That well, that's a great point. Mom and dad had just separated, and I had forgotten that angle because I knew you were going to talk about this one, but I had forgotten that tidbit, which is an important tidbit about it. I have very specific memories of this trip. First of all, I mean, the first thing I remember is that was the first time I was ever out west in California, specifically in Southern California, and I had already been skateboarding for four or five years, just building up this perpetual head of steam and desire to go to California because. I, watching it in videos, watching it, you know, reading about it in the skate mags and stuff like that and just wanting, always wanting to go out there because that's where the industry was really holed up. Mm -hmm. And being really, Uncle Mike, not to be confused with Uncle Mike on our mom's side. This is Uncle Michael, our dad's brother, my godfather, Colin Uncle Michael it. Moriarty. Uncle Michael Moriarty and Aunt Julie. And yeah, they lived in Huntington Beach. And I remember being initially really excited to go to Huntington Beach because Huntington Beach specifically was a big skate scene with especially the epic skate spot, Huntington Beach High School was always a thing. I would read it about it in a magazine, see it in skate videos. It was like Huntington Beach, Ed Templeton, Jason Dill, all the locals. So that was really exciting for me. And the first thing I remember was, okay, I was just 17, didn't have a car, didn't have a driver's license. So I was like, how am I going to get around and try to find these places? And I remember going out with, I had my board with me. Of course, I remember the exact board I had at the time. I had just broken my arm and was still healing. My cast was off. I had two casts. They were both off, but I remember I had a brace still that had like metal splints in it that I was wearing everywhere. It was like a kind of like a wrist cast that was removable. I remember having that on at the time for that trip and just kind of going out in the morning and saying, I'm going to find Huntington Beach High School. 
And I just got lucky. I just skated around for a little bit, found like a Ralph's supermarket, got like a big Donald Duck orange juice. and was It was hot. I remember that. It was really hot. And I found it. I found Huntington Beach High School and I was able to skate the benches and the manual pad and look at the, the handrails and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, I'm here at Huntington Beach High School. And being a little bummed about it because I didn't have anyone to really share it with. I wasn't with friends. I wasn't with anyone that cared about skateboarding. But that trip, I remember rolling around that area, Huntington Beach, Anaheim and everything and like looking at like, oh, I recognize this spot from this video and Rodney skated this and this video. So that was a whole skateboard centric West Coast experience for me. And you know what the other thing I remember, Kyle? I was an avid Street Fighter player already by that point. I remember getting the living shit beat out of me at Street Fighter out there. It was a whole different Street Fighter culture. Remember there was like this one very Karate Kid-esque arcade. That was like one of those places with the go-karts and the mini golf and the big indoor arcade. Going there one night with you guys, playing Street Fighter, of course. And, you know, it was like that whole head-to-head player versus player culture. And people would step up, put their quarters up and everything like that. Just getting, just getting my ass handed to me. Just getting roundly annihilated time after time. And then it started to get, it was almost like a movie, the way it ramped up, right? Somebody would come and beat my ass with, with Ken, and then he would beat my ass with E. Honda and Zangief and all these outlandish things that we had never, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and then the, the people started to get younger and younger. So here's like a little Japanese kid. He's like six years old. He's kicking the shit out of me. With it was like really <laughs> humiliating and humbling experience, frustrating, but realizing like, oh shit, it's like a whole, the video game culture out here. Now, granted, on the, in the in the big cities on the East Coast, I think it was a little more competitive. But you know, we lived in the suburbs on the East Coast, and we didn't really go see like too many great video game players at that point. So Definitely I remember not. that, and I remember the other thing I remember was Dad getting really mad at me because I met a girl in Disneyland, and I wanted to like I don't even know how it happened, dude, because I was <laughs> with my family, she was with her family, but I remember going off with her and just riding some of the rides. Interesting. Sounds really bad, but riding oh, some of the, oh, yeah. so you have some like of the actual dance with this with this <laughs> random girl. That's just so interesting. I remember yeah. dad being pissed because he wanted to spend time with the family. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go off with so-and-so. I'll meet you back here at this time. Like I'll meet you in front of the bathrooms at nine o'clock. And I remember like purposely like pushing off that curfew or whatever. And then finally like rendezvousing with dad at like 11 and I was like already two hours late because I was hanging out with her and he was really pissed. So I remember that was my third very clear memory. Interestingly enough, I don't remember Uncle Mike or Aunt Julie a lot from that trip. Yeah, I kind of don't. Even. Right? It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think Aunt Julie's the one that brought us to the Three Ninjas and like the Toy Store. And okay, all that, kind that of makes stuff, sense. Cool. But, and I vaguely remember getting – I have – I have funnier memory. I'll, I'll save some of the memory. The story. There's like some funny stuff that I very much remember later on and going to, to Disney. But my Disney stuff at this point is is waning as well. So I don't. Did you ever talk or see that talk to or see that girl ever again? No, it was the weirdest thing. That's and so cool, man. I love that shit. So weird. You know, you're at that age. Like you're always trying to hook up. Like you're always trying to find. I guess I didn't have a girlfriend at that point. I definitely didn't. Just just 17 years old. And that I remember that though, like you remember that age, like that's your whole mo. Like you're just trying to meet someone everywhere you go. 
No, it's I have shameless. a story. It's so funny you say this, dude, because I, I have a story about this. I'll say I'll tell you later. It just syncs up perfectly. You'll understand. That's awesome. But Dave, what's what's the next thing you want to talk so, about? Here? You know, what? speaking of Disney, I thought we'd jump to 1980. This is a very specific, very vivid memory for me. And that's, again, pre-Colin. So this is interesting. So maybe some stuff Colin's never heard before. And that's going to Disney World in Orlando, Florida, for the first time, our first trip to Disney. And I was really struck by this memory. I have very specific, very warm, fun memories of this trip. But also, just in researching and remembering, Disney World was only built in 1971. So Disney World wasn't even a decade old at this time. In fact, I think Epcot would come in 82. So this was pre-Epcot. And I remember them building, I call it the golf ball. I remember them building the big golf ball, the big sphere, but it wasn't open yet. So this was a strictly Magic Kingdom trip to Disney. And I have such fun memories of going to Magic Kingdom for the first time. I still love it. You know, I've been there with my family a couple of times since the kids were born. And it's funny how it evolves, but that those core reflections or those core memories or the key components of Disney stay the same, even though time passes and they build and they build up and they expand. But, and I love that my Disney, my very specific theme park memories are amazing. Riding Space Mountain for the first time, riding Splash Mountain for the first time, Thunder Mountain Railroad, sort of starting my love affair, which I'm sure you're going to go into, Kyle, with, with roller coasters. And just being at that age, I was seven at this time. I would be eight later in the year. So I was in that perfect, Dana and I were in that perfect wheelhouse age of being really in that zone of wonder still. You know, you're still into all the fascination with the cartoon characters and the the fully grown mascot characters walking around and taking a picture with Donald and taking a picture with Mickey and falling. I remember that was the first trip I fell in love with the Magic Kingdom, specifically in Florida the atmosphere of that place at night is very special to me still. And something that has been cool to share with my kids, even specifically now with Animal Kingdom and Hollywood Studios and Epcot and everything like that. And I love Epcot, but specifically Magic Kingdom at night, it's a very special atmosphere there that I really love. And something, this was my sort of the beginning of my love affair with that. And I, it was funny because we went with the family, Allie, had only could only be one or two years old at this point. So she was a baby again, pre Colin. And I think to my best recollection, we were with grandma and grandpa as well. And uncle Mike and aunt Carla may have been on this trip as well. So I remember that being like a very fun family memory of us all being together and making this trip together, which was fun. And all the Disney esque memories very specifically were great, but I have two specifically funny memories. Well, first of all, we stayed half the time. I remember, let's say we were down there for a week, half the time we spent at a hotel. And then for a few days, we lived with our grandpa's brother, our uncle Vito, who lived down in that area. And he lit our uncle Vito. Gay man. Yes. Gay man, which this <laughs> should have been this, the beginning of my sort of, well, maybe I was a little too young, but Uncle Vito, picture, he was my grandfather's, one of my gran grandpa's brothers, one of our grandpa's brothers. Very handsome man. He had a friend who we thought was, you know, which a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, I thought was a friend named Lindy that he lived with 
our uncle Vito. Yeah, his roommate. I think his I roommate. Did. Right. <laughs> now you can understand me. Now we stayed with Uncle Vito. He was he was great guy, very charismatic, very charming and warm. He had a beautiful smile. Always had the bronze tan, and he was always dressed to the nines. He had a beautiful condo. I remember the place being even as a seven year old when you realize, well, this place is serious business. This is a gorgeous place. And I remember being on the water. Now I don't remember if it was on a bay or if it was on like a man made lake in that complex, a pond of some sort. I don't remember. But I remember it being a large body war. It was a very pretty place. And I remember being we were in this was the summertime. And I remember being very struck by the Florida heat. That was something we never knew before. Where you would go outside and actually hit that wall of heat and humidity, even as a kid. And going back and forth between that and the air conditioning was like, what is this fucking place? Yeah, like, where in Florida they have the, the 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 construction usually outside the back of their house, which is just like a k like a like a it's all fa- like screened in. Yeah, and then they have like a, a pool in the back. Like yes. that's a very Florida thing. Definitely, you know, like where they they don't even fuck around. They're like they you don't go outside. You just absolutely you not barricade yourself from the plants and the lizards and snakes and <laughs> bugs. And that's exactly a great point, dude, because even the like even the construction and the interiors of the buildings and the houses are different. They have the ceramic tile. Everything's sort of constructed around staying cool, right? That's the first time we ever experienced that. And it was fun. But I remember, I have to say with, with Vito and Lindy, I didn't make the connection. You could understand eight-year-old Dagan wouldn't, seven-year-old Dagan wouldn't understand that. But I was probably 16 or 17 before somebody had to tell me, like, maybe it was Dana. And she was like, Dagan, you know, like, Uncle Vito's, like, Lindy's not his friend. That was his boyfriend and Uncle Vito's gay. Like, she, I I didn't know. I had no, I wasn't even thinking of that. You know what I mean? It was, it was so funny. And two very specific memories of Florida. You would think the Disney World thing would take precedence, but there were two very specific things that I remember I'll never forget. One was the chameleons being a little kid and being like, there's lizards running around outside. What the fuck? Like it was like being on a different planet and being fast enough as a kid. Now, this is the beginning of my Jedi training, I think. Being fast enough as a kid to catch them by the tail. And then, of course, if you if you know, if you're fast enough to catch one, their tail will break off as a defense mechanism and then they regenerate. Right. But I didn't know that. So I finally caught one by like the top-ish of the tail where the tail met the butt. Tail broke off of my hand and I was fucking mortified, dude. I was like, what the, what? And it ran away. It skittered away without the tail. The tail's wriggling around in my fingers. And here I am horrified. I think I hurt this thing. I mean, I'm sure it does hurt in all fairness. But I I'm, I go to mom and I'm like, holy shit. And she had to explain the whole thing to me that they regenerate. And, and she's thinking like, how the fuck did you even catch this thing? <laughs> but it didn't stop me. I kept trying the whole time. And then the other thing that was fascinating to me were the fire ants. Now, I didn't know what a fire ant was. I remember being a kid somewhere in between the back of Vito's condo and that body of water was like this area of grass and sand. And there must have been an anthill there. And I remember seeing the red ants and being like, oh shit, red ants, that's pretty rad. I've never seen an ant that's red before. And then re- having the very vivid memory of these bugs. You think of a bug, right? A, a typical insect. They're little, they're afraid they want to get away from you. Even a spider, right? They don't want to be near humans. I remember these things making a beeline. Like these things are coming at me. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Like thinking as a kid, like why? And they were, you know, it wasn't like I was being attacked, but they were not, they weren't receding. They were actually coming to see what was up. 
And I, and I remember mom like grabbing me and being like, what? Like those are fire ants. Like there was a very, and then researching that and they have some really, they have these fire ants down there that apparently came from other places and shipping crates. They weren't native to Florida originally. And they're fearsome. And they're also destructive apparently to like livestock and shit like that. <laughs> They'll just like overrun cattle and stuff like that. Some so I remember that being, I remember not just Disney, but Florida being like, whoa, this place is so different. How can this be part of our country and being so so different than the Northeast New York Long Island and what we're used to. And the only other thing I remember was a very specific memory to this time. Cause I don't remember this being a thing after this part of the hotel we stayed at had like a kind of a swanky restaurant attached to it. And in that restaurant, they had another restaurant that was just for the kids. So you would go into the restaurant, me and Dana, whoever you were with your cousins or whatever, just the kids would go in, sit down and be served without the adults. It was just a, a kind of a thing to babysit and placate the kids while the, the parents could have a nice dinner. And you felt like a big kid because you sat down, you ordered the meal, you weren't sitting, you were sitting in a booth without your parents. I vaguely remember this. Did I ever do this? You must have done it on the subsequent trips down there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, very familiar. Yeah. Very like, I remember that as a kid being like a very special treat. It was like, oh my God, we're going into a restaurant and ordering and being served and asking for what we want without. I don't know how it was paid for. It was somehow associated with your your tape, you know, the big parent, the parents' table, or maybe grandma and grandpa set it up or something in advance. But I remember that being the other thing. It was like f- mind blowing as a seven year old. It's like I'm going in this restaurant ordering like fried shrimp and a coke by myself. How is this being paid for? It was just like a magical, some magical experience of like again having that wonder of just being seven years old. It's a good idea. Everything's new. Yeah, that's a good idea at that age. You know. I like so that that's idea it, 1980, Magic Kingdom, Kyle, Orlando, FLA. Yeah, I mean, that's so, I was, my, my second thing was was Disney World as well. I, I don't have much more to add about it because I, I did want to say that one of the things that I wanted to bring up, it's perfect that you brought it up yourself, was just the, the weather. And it makes you think about, I understand why they put it there, but I love Florida. I've been to Florida many times. I have a lot of love for Florida. I have a lot of love for the people of Florida. I love Florida, man, as I introduced you to the idea of Florida, man, and all that. It's good shit. Like Florida, man, gets one of each type of vaccine. Like that's Florida, man stuff. Love it. So awesome. So, so, uh, but it is a miserable place. It is horrifying. I've been all over the state. I, in college, dated a girl for a little while that lived in Gainesville and and oh wow i never been tampa and all i i you know been there you know in and out and i'm just like holy what the fuck is going on down here every time i'm down there (laughs) i'm like it is so hot down here i don't understand what is going on (laughs) down here and that's that those are my biggest memories of disney but the other thing i wanted to say about disney real quick you touched on so many things that are that are great is just disney world is the place that from which relics that I have from it just keep popping up over time. Like the Donald Duck hat. The, yeah. The, the iconic Donald Duck. Of course, the even more iconic Mickey Mouse hat, but then things like pennants for your wall. And oh my God. Just different tchotchkes. Love that shit. And I have to say that I, I used to go to Disney World every summer. I went there three or four summers in a row in high school. 
I'm going to talk about my friend Bryce next, but I, I spent a lot of time there. And the one thing that I wanted to say was that it, so it's so funny you brought up meeting a girl down in, in Disneyland. I remember Bryce being so mad at me because I was like girl crazy at the time when I was there too. And I was, I was like <laughs> trying to meet girls at Disney world. And he was like, and you know, it was 15 or 16. He's like, I remember him being like, yo, what the f- <laughs> it's Disney world, dude. Like we're here to ride rides. Like, why can't you just be content? I, I have such a vivid memory of that, of like kind of being embarrassed by that. That's so and funny. Now, now Bryce ended up being gay. I didn't know. Bryce was one of my best friends and I didn't know because I, I was oblivious. I guess I have great gaydar, I think. So I'm not great at that age, I guess. But uh, so maybe it was that too. Like it was kind of alienating to him. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I just thought it was so funny that you brought that up with your Disney land trip uh, story. Cause I was like, I had the, a very similar experience, although it was so embarrassing funny? for me. <laughs> To be browbeat by one of your contemporaries is like not like a parent. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're getting out of like you're robbing the innocence from this place. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Like, what are you doing? Uh, Dig, I'll, I'll just throw it right back to you. What's, what's your third memory? All right. I'm going to whisk you guys off now to a fun memory. Dad loves hearing the stories. My complaints about this one. Colin knows what I'm going to say already. Now, this was 84, or 85, summer. Take you to the Northeast, US, Vermont. Okay to the Vermont castings. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the wood stove manufacturer, their sort of fair outing, fan weekend, whatever you want to call it, customer appreciation, b- bizarre, whatever you want to say about this thing. Now, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Right? <laughs> it's bizarre. All right. Wait till you guys get a load of this one. So now, first of all, I should say Vermont always had a very I always painted a very romantic picture of Vermont as a kid because my best friend Tommy who we mentioned many times on the show his family would go up to Vermont for ski trips religiously every winter they might even had a timeshare or a cabin up there and they were big skiers avid skiers and they would go to Vermont every winter and every summer they would go to the Dominican Republic Okay, they might have had a timeshare type of a deal down there. So they always had their summer. They were kind of jet setting to me. It was like, you know, they their parents had a few bucks. They uh, they definitely went away. They did a lot of things. Tommy, the sweetest family in the world, by the way, very unassuming. Tommy was the and Tommy was like the epitome of that. Like he was just the sweetest kid, but he had a lot. They did a lot. They went a lot of places. So Vermont was always like, wow, that's a cool thing. My, I think we didn't come from a, a skiing family. We weren't jet setting in any way. So Vermont always had this very romantic association. So our first experience with Vermont was already weird because we were going in the summertime and it was hot. I remember that being now we might've went one or two times, but it was hot up there. I remember feeling like this is where Tommy goes skiing. It's like a hundred degrees up here. What is that? It's hotter than where we're at. And I'm old enough to realize like this is north of where we grew up, where, where we live. So turns out mom and dad, as of the late seventies, dad was very into his wood burning stove. Early adopter had that old, that old model, that first model that Vermont castings made. I'll try to remember the memory, the, the exact name of that model, but he was a, uh, wood burning stove aficionado. He had one big one in the living room. They had a little one in the kitchen. And I guess they got wind of this customer appreciation thing where they would sort of host this event every year, which was like a giant fair where 
you could go and do all the typical things in a fair. There were, you know, watermelon eating contests, refreshments, ice cream, things for the kids, balloons, whatever it was. It's always seemed to me, even at that age now, where I'm like 11 years old, that it was like, why do we have to go hundreds of miles away? This seems like something we could do like over in like Patchogue. Like, why do we need to go to Vermont to do this thing? But it was a well-intentioned trip. But I remember it being very, of course, mom and dad, you know, wanted to do something nice for us. But, and it was fun, but I remember it being like a little bit, you know, a little, a little bit like, all right, this seems kind of like an average thing. We're staying at this motel. I remember this motel very specifically. It was called the Brown Derby. It had a little restaurant attached to it. And I remember this had to be the summer of 84, actually, because I remember the Olympics being a big thing. The summer Olympics, I remember like watching Mary Lou Retton and all that kind of stuff. You know, you had the the room temperature cans of Pepsi from the vending machine they had a, the restaurant had delicious pancakes in the morning. I do remember that. And, you know, of course, the main, if you set it time and place and think of the specific era, I remember everybody wearing Ghostbusters shirts. <laughs> I remember watching, I had to remember this very specific memory. I remember watching the movie Dreamscape, which is a very strange horror slash action sci fi movie. I remember that watching that in the hotel room. But what I, of course, what I, I remember the bunk beds in the room and everything like that. But what I remember specifically, of course, was the fair itself, which I guess was like a weekend long event. And, you know, it had, again, it had all the things like picture like one of those portable carnival type things, had some rides, had some games, had some food, refreshments, all that kind of thing. And I remember Dana and Allie being like mom and dad sort of goading them to be in the ice cream eating contest. And I was like, I'm not doing the ice cream eating contest. I remember being very hot and feeling like that very heat strokey type feeling. It was like, just give me some drinks. Just keep the drinks coming, but I'm not going to do the ice cream eating contest. But I remember mom and dad twisting Dana and Allie's arm to do the ice cream eating contest. And maybe they were trying to get me to do like a watermelon eating contest or something. But I, I uh, absolved myself from that. I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. But here's the kicker. I love this memory. Dad signed up for this. Now, you think about this kind of portable carnival. You got the rides and the games and the Zeppelis and the food and everything like that. Lemonade stand, whatever. But this fair up in Vermont had sort of like a hillbilly tone to it, right? And I remember there was a log sawing contest. And I remember thinking, like, I already knew at that point, dad was like, had that sort of lumberjack aspect to him. Like, he would go, and of course, he was into the wood burning stove. So he needed wood. He would go out into the woods with chainsaws and get wood. And he was really into that. And always like the manly man type, big, strong, that whole thing. And you always kind of put your own dad on a pedestal, like, my dad could kick your dad's ass type thing. But I remember him signing up for this contest, this log sawing contest. I remember being like, all right, like, I guess. Having the very specific memory of like, all right, I guess this is going to like be the true answer to how manly and tough my dad is, right? So it wasn't a one-man thing. It was a tandem log sawing contest. So I remember they had these, ex- these big extensions of tree trunks laid across some saw ho- horses or something. And then they had, picture that tandem saw, that long saw with a handle on each side. So you have a partner 
and you're sawing this log. And the idea was to be the first one, the first team to saw through the log. And I remember dad and this other dude, this other lumberjack type dude, doing it like so, dude, it was so fast. It was like they had a chainsaw. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and I remember coming away thinking like, wow, that was goofy, but also being proud. Like, oh shit, I guess my dad really is badass. Like here he is competing with all these New Englanders and stuff like that. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding. I That's probably my biggest takeaway was that log selling contest and being like having that reflection of, holy shit, my dad's pretty my dad's pretty crazy. Like it is, it's, it's true. Everything I think is true. And the other important thing to say was this was in a section of Vermont called, it was the state capital, Montpelier. And I did a little, I remember that place because it had that very new England, Norman Rockwell type feel to it. And I remember the city hall building had the big gold dome on top, very picturesque, very pretty up there. I think Ben and Jerry's is actually somewhere nearby mm. that, that area. I remember even as a kid, as an 11 year old, being struck by how beautiful it was. And I remember the streams and fishing with dad up there and stuff like that. It wasn't all to make fun of. But just in researching Mount Pelier today, smallest state capital in the country, less than 8,000 people live there. How crazy crazy is that? When you think of even a modest state capital, like let's say Harrisburg in PA, how big that's absolutely cosmopolitan compared to Mount Pelier. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think even Juno, which can only be accessed by seaplane, has more people in it. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. And, you know, I would love to go back up there just to see, I'm sure, even from looking at Montpelier's website today, like I'm sure it's pretty similar to the way it was back then. But that was always like that vacation of like my friends going to Disney. My friend John always went to Lake George. That always seemed like a cool place to like go with kids. And it was very kid centric place. It was like, we went to this very random vacation. I remember coming back to school in September being like, what did you do? And I have to tell them about this like Vermont castings fairs. Very, give it this, very unique. No one else went to the Vermont castings. Definitely not. You could also made something up, but you know, by the way, Dave, I've been going through old papers. I have a bunch for you. I gave some to Ali and Dana, but I think I went through a phase where I was pretending my middle name was James because I have a bunch of things from school, like straight up schoolwork, but where it says Colin James Moriarty. I'm what? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah. Like, like where I think I was pretending my middle name was James because I didn't want a middle name or something. Who got, oh, gotta, Finley gotta, got James, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He ended up with James for real, for real. All right. I have stuff to say about New England later, but I'll save it. All right. So I want to get back to my friend Bryce. He was an important friend of mine. It comes up often on the show, even though I have, I have not spoke. I have not seen him in probably close to 20 years. Wow. And we speak on like a blue moon Facebook message or something like that. But he's doing his thing or whatever. But we had we were very close when we were younger. He was a year younger than me and he lived really close to us. I had I was in the middle of what I used to call this triangle, like where my friend Timmy lived. And then my friend Eric lived over here and then Bryce lived here and I was just in between and I would you know, dart between all three of them. And they were all as was always my way. They all were separate from each other. You know, it was very weird. Like I remember Eric and Tim didn't really like each other. I, Bryce had no idea what these guys were doing. You know, <laughs> Tim was two years older than Bryce because Tim was a year older than me. So so all these different politics. But Bryce was a really good guy and his parents were divorced. His dad Steve, really wonderful man. First of all, like drop dead gorgeous. Everyone had a crush on this guy. I don't know if you remember that. About I do him, remember. But that. like everyone loved. Remember our sister Steve like, Aviano <laughs> was his name. 
And Steve Aviano right. was an antiques store owner, a very well-to-do, wealthy dude on Long Island. And I used to work for him sometimes. He would give us like $50 to do fucking nothing. We, we, told, we, we told the story about how we met Foreigner through Steve Aviano like moved their shit out of their house that they like crazy rented in Long Island. so weird like we had all we met you know i did a lot of work for isabella rossellini through him etc etc et so they used to invite me every summer to go on vacation and bryce had a real passion bryce loved horror movies bryce loved gross shit bryce loved metal and marilyn manson and all that kind of stuff and and he loved thrills like he loved he just loved that kind of stuff. And we used to rent Silent Hill and play that together and all that. But we he loved roller coasters. So every summer we would go on this endeavor to go on roller coasters. He had this book. I, I, I wouldn't even know if I if you showed it to me, if I'd remember it specifically. But it was one of those nice quality, almost like coffee table type books, rectangular. And there was like a, we would check them off as we would go. There was just this extensive list of roller coasters all around the United States ranking them about you know wood and metal and what's scary and what this and that and the other thing and so from uh, summer 99 2000 2001 definitely might have been summer 98 as well we would go to random places and we went to florida a bunch of times but we would not only go to disney we would also go to universal and some other stuff down there we went to ohio to go to cedar point which is by far the coolest amusement park ever. I mean, that that place is so that is like the upscale. We're not dicking around sort of place Never where it's like we have there. like 15 roller coasters. It's something nuts. That's insane. it's like there's nothing else to do here. We you come here to do roller coasters. That's and <laughs> and uh, I remember they just had amazing roller coasters. So we, we went there. We drove all the way through Pennsylvania and we went to Hershey Point and Asbury Park and all mm. these different places over the over time. And those trips were really formative. I. I actually, in going through my tchotchkes in my garage, was just finding random things like a shot glass from Fire and Ice, which was a dueling roller coaster that I think they turned into a like a Harry Potter roller coaster or something. Oh, since. wow. And or it couldn't have been Harry Potter. No, it, yeah, it might have been Could Harry be. Potter. Yeah. And so stuff like that. But I wanted to give a shout out, a special shout out to Bryce's grandmother, who we used to go visit in Florida every summer. And she was just a really wonderful woman. She was from Long Island. She was a snowbird. She moved down there. She would stock the fridge with boar's head. I, I remember these things so well. Just we would play Scrabble and do all of these things. But I thought you'd find this story funny. I remember this so well. We were walking into a mall. It was me, Bryce, and his grandma. She drove us to the mall. We were getting something. And there were these two hot girls walking out of the mall, like these two hot Florida chicks. And we were just looking at them but didn't say anything to them. I remember this so well because it was so embarrassing that one hot girl was like, hanging out with your grandmother boys or like hanging out with grandma boys oh, no. or whatever. And, and I was just like, you know, like you're just like shot through the heart, but it's like, yeah, I am. You know, My God. I am hanging out with the girl. And I remember that so well. This is hot. Wow. Were hot they things. your yeah. age? Yeah. They might've been a little older, maybe, right. but, but fresh. yeah, but fresh. Yeah. yeah but fresh. <laughs> so I wanted to give a shout out to that story. That's amazing. That is a, isn't that so strange? Like that's such a small thing to have happen, but it's something that just stays with you. Yeah, they don't. They probably don't remember that oh at all. Oh my god! I, no, I, of course not. No. That's amazing. I remember you taking these trips with Bryce and his family, and um, I remember being so jealous about it. Like, wow, I didn't have a friend this cool to take me all these places, and you guys bonding over theme parks and roller coasters and stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, in hindsight, it, it's really neat. Like, they paid for everything. 
It was kind of so nuts. I, I, I'm very grateful. When you, as a kid, you're grateful. I'm like, thank you, of course. Like, thank you so much for bringing me in. in your, but as an adult, you really realize that this probably cost that me coming with them cost them a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what, though? You do that for your kids because, you know, those kids like you, those, you know, contemporaries of your kids that become their best friends kind of by association become your kids and you just want them to be happy. So it's like it's a given. Like, I'm sure they weren't even thinking about it like that. They were just thinking about it's like it's like it's another one in the family type of thing. When you're a parent, you realize that. But it's true that, you know, that was a really high quality family you know, from our upbringing, yeah. from our past, that was just Definitely. like one of those special families. Good you know? Italian Long Island stock, of course. <laughs> there you go. Dagan, what's your uh, fourth memory? All right. I was looking forward to taking you guys on this journey because I don't think I've talked about this too much on the show before for reasons, <laughs> but I think the statute of limitations has <laughs> passed. In my notes, I have jackass before jackass, and that does kind of sum it up a little bit. So Kyle, this was the notorious hopefully Helene doesn't listen to this episode ill pig tour 1996 this was a summertime philly to atlanta road trip with two of my best friends and another guy four of us and interestingly i thought about this while i was writing notes this is the direct sequel to the big dagan versus ducky fight that I talk about in our roommates episode. In fact, this happened, this road trip kicked off about two days after that. My friend Jeff, I remember, was in town because we were, we were about to embark on this, on this mission. And so basically to sum it up, this was a trip that we had planned to take from Philly. My good friend, one of my best friends, Brian and I were both living in Philly at the time. Brian had just finished school, I think, a month prior and I was in my last year or two of, of art school and Jeff was living. Now we were all friends from Long Island, but Jeff was attending his undergrad at BU at the time, but he was in town visiting. In fact, he was the, he was the driver. It was his car. We were about to embark on this, on this journey and Jeff's 86 Honda Accord beige. It was already a mess 10 years later. It was already a 10 year old car. And then Jeff's friend from Boston, this guy, Jad, who I had only met maybe once or twice prior. I didn't know Jad that well. He was with Jeff. So it was going to be the four of us. And I remember the bent of this trip was, or the reason we were taking it was my friend, Brian, who's not only an avid skateboarder and entrepreneur, but he was a graphic designer by trade. He was working for an Atlanta-based skate company at that time. I'm not sure they're still around, called Torque run by this guy named Thomas Taylor, who was kind of like, Thomas was kind of like the center of gravity for Atlanta's skate scene back then in the mid nineties. He also owned, Thomas Taylor also owned the big or one of the big shops down there in Atlanta at the five points called Stratosphere. So Thomas was kind of like this Atlanta skate magnate guy. Brian was working for him. Brian was going down there to either, either deliver some assets or they were had some, some deals in the offing. Brian was going to be involved with some stuff that Thomas was doing. So that was going to be the sort of the end game to get down to Atlanta. But along the way, we were going to stop at all these strategic, you know, skate, skate spots, tourist attractions, whatever, a mixture of both things along the eastern seaboard. 
and just make a road trip out of it. And I think we had 10 days. I think Jeff had to get back to Boston in a timely fashion to do something. And then I had, I was working at the time. I don't know where I was working at the time, anthropology or urban outfitters or something, but I was still working. I was still, I was off for three weeks from school, but I had to get back to work. I had no money. And so we were basically going to go down and make this trip and have fun skating and just, you know, it was a mixture of sort of skateboarding and just getting into all kinds of mischief. That was, that was going to be the strategy. So key points along the way, we were going to hit Baltimore, DC. We ended up in Richmond, North Carolina, Emerald Island, where, where actually a beautiful place where Brian's aunt lived, Myrtle Beach, then Atlanta. Then we came up back up through Tennessee, which is West. I don't know why we did that and then came up. And I remember getting home in 10 hours. But a really memorable trip for me because it's one, it's still to this day one of the only trips I went with a group of friends. Not not a family trip, but actually a friend trip. And dude, I cannot even t- – like the memories are a mixture of hilarious and horrifying for me because it really was very jackass-centric. And specifically, my friend Jeff, who's one of the smartest dudes I ever know, Silicon Valley entrepreneur – family man now for years doing very, I mean, doing very well, but, and super intelligent, but he could get into some mischief. And then this guy, Jad was like, unbelievable. I mean, think shades of Bam Margera mixed with Johnny Knoxville. Like he was, he was a mess, super fun to be around. And then Brian, my friend, Brian too, could definitely get, you know, he could definitely hold his weight when it came to getting into trouble and stuff like that for sure. So I remember what I'll do is I'll talk about each bullet point as far as place and talk about one specific memory from each thing on, sure. on our way down. Because it was, again, thank God for the statute of limitations because this trip was, was pretty crazy. So really, I remember really fun skateboarding go down, going down and being in, in these places where I had never been before. Our first stop in Baltimore, we actually got made you know the same day we left. And we went to this snake run, which is like this concrete sort of winding concrete pit that we had found that we had known about through friends of ours in Philly that have skated this place. And that was really fun. That was something that you would see dating back to like 1970s West Coast skate documentaries with drainage ditches and stuff. But we didn't really have that so much on the East Coast. That's a very SoCal thing. And this was actually one of those places that had a little bit of an East Coast tone to it. But I remember having fun skating that thing. Another important thing to realize, this is 96. So this is pre-smartphone. This is even pre-Garmin, bolt-on navigation system, certainly Google Maps. We didn't have any of that. This was analog. Hey, Google didn't exist in 1996. No Google, right? <laughs> yeah, pa- this was analog paper map, pen. Oh, we fucked up. Let's get really lost era. Like this was that. And is this for 21 and 22-year-old guys with, you know, no... You know, just absolutely wanting to get up to tomfoolery and nothing else. Like that was it. Skateboarding was, of course, part of it. And then DC, we, we, we made it down to DC that first day and we stayed at a youth hostel. I didn't know what a youth hostel was at this point. I didn't realize like, oh, every cosmopolitan, metropolitan place has these places where young people especially could stay on the cheap while they're traveling. I never knew that existed. So this was my first experience with the youth hostel. We're right outside of DC. I remember it was like this old, but beautiful, white, majestic, huge Victorian house. And 
I think Jeff and Jed and they had to explain to me what a youth hostel was. It was like it was like a motel, but it was like very bare bones. I won't say dirty, but certainly not immaculate bunk beds. I would certainly be wary as an adult of bed bugs and stuff like that. But we're oh not yeah, about oh my that, god, that would freak me right? out. That yeah. that freaks me out now in retrospect. And I remember like outside they had like the plastic furniture, tables and chairs, hammocks. It was actually very nice. You know, it was actually very nice. There was a young, not quite as young as us, but I would say mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s guy, British guy running the place. So he was at the front desk. He was taking your 20 to stay for the night, whatever. And we were super obnoxious, right? We called him Ringo. We, I don't think we called him Ringo to his face, but we, we already dubbed him Ringo. This is Ringo, right? Because of the British accent. Stupid, but we were assholes. So... Make a long story of it, there's a mixture of like really hippie-esque kids our age, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older, girls, guys, everything, mixing it up. Kind of fun. Sun's going down, having a good time, hanging out in the backyard, laying on the hammock. We're sore from skating Baltimore that day. And find out, going to the basement, there's a pool table, a couple other kind of amenities. And we're like, oh, this is kind of cool. This would be kind of a fun place to stay for a night or two. And find out there's a vending machine full of red stripe beer vending machine with 50 cent that gives 50 cent beer now in retrospect this seems like a really bad idea for a youth hostel (laughs) but as soon we might have already had alcohol on us as well but as soon as that came to light it was on everybody got loaded and i remember i have a very distinctive memory of jad going out and taking lawn furniture up to the balcony and then throwing it off the balcony because he was trying to get it stuck in the power lines. That's what he was doing. So he was taking this plastic, these plastic chairs and tables and trying to get it wrapped up in the overhead power lines, right? It was a mess. Now, you, as an adult, as a parent, you think of like, somebody could have gotten really hurt if somebody oh, was definitely. down there and stuff, right? Oh, definitely. So push comes to shove. I think we kind of set off this whole, this whole thing of like, now everybody's doing it. Everybody's making trouble. Everybody's breaking shit throwing furniture, taking the pool cues, trying to destroy everything in the basement. It was a mess, dude. I don't know how we didn't get kicked out that first night, but in the morning, this probably went on to all hours of the evening, super hungover in the morning, wake up. We only have 10 days. So we're like, we got to get out of here. We got to get down to, we were going to try to make it down to North Carolina that day to get to Brian's aunt's house. And the guy comes to us, the guy that we called Ringo and was like, you guys, are out like you can't stay here another night surprisingly calm about the whole thing but definitely like no bones about it like get the fuck out of here type thing we were lucky we didn't get arrested i mean in retrospect right that set the whole tone for the trip to come so we make it down to richmond i had never been ironically remember skating richmond skating city hall we didn't stay in virginia long Make it down to Brian's aunt's house in North Carolina on Emerald Island, which is one of the little offshoot islands down there. Very pit, pretty, very picturesque. Not a lot of people. I think it's still like three or 4,000 people live on this island. And of course, there's nowhere to really skate there. It's very beachy. We're looking for a skate shop. There's a so happens to be a surf shop. There's no skate gear. Everything's kind of boardwalky. There's, there's not even really any pavement. I mean, there's really nowhere to skate. It's very kind of rural very surfer-esque. So I don't know what we were expecting. So Brian's aunt and her boyfriend give us dinner. They have a beautiful house. It's very nice. 
very hillbillyish though. I remember the 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 boyfriend was like, "Yeah, we go out at night. Like, there's not much to do around here. We go to the junkyard and shoot rats." I had never heard of this thing before. Now that's a thing, right? We know that's in the South, rural pockets of the U.S. Especially, that's a thing. You go to the junkyard and shoot rats. But I had never heard of that before. And he was like, "You guys want to do that with me tonight?" And I kind of wanted to do it because I just wanted to see what it was going to be like. But we ended up not even staying there. I think the big thing in North Carolina was trying to, at that point, the guys were trying to like hook up with like surf chicks, and the place was full full of like valley girls home for the summer that were just hanging out there or their families were there or about our age like surfer chicks and marines because i guess there's a marine base down there or some sort of military base down there so we didn't want to run afoul of any marines certainly we weren't up to that task but i do remember going to some house party and again i see i have this memory in bits and pieces going to some house party and brian or jeff did an upper decker in the girls toilet bowl which i had never even heard of before that's when you poop in the upper tank of the toilet so when you flush the poop goes into the toilet it's good shit it's good it's right good shit. good shit yeah that's what i remember of that and then myrtle beach i remember getting to myrtle beach not being able to find anywhere on the strip beautiful place myrtle beach by the way and i had never been to that part of south carolina not being able to find a hotel on the strip because it was summertime and it was so crowded so Ended up meeting this mixture of guys and girls that were staying at this really swanky high-rise hotel slightly off the strip and ended up getting bombed with them at night with beers and stuff like that. But what I remember, and this is the one of my craziest memories, is this guy, Jad, getting so in that, like so just inebriated that he was taking full cans of Budweiser. Now, we were up on like the 18th story. I remember there was a really, really beautiful hotel room. It was one of those kind of dual level hotel rooms with like the sleeping area. And then it steps down into the living room, like kind of like Don Draper's apartment in Mad Men, like gorgeous, sure. huge with scenic views on love one side of the ocean. You're yeah. right there. Oh, and he was taking full cans of bud and throwing them from the balcony as far as he could, as far as he could over the parking lot. So not only are there people that he could have killed, definitely but yeah. just, Hitting cars from the parking lot with full cans of beer. I mean, that was, it's one of those horrifying memories of me of like, certainly I don't remember doing it, but like one of those karmic things of like, you're fucked karmically. Like even, even just laughing at this or egging it on in some way. Cause I certainly wasn't doing anything to stop it. Even if I wasn't throwing the beers, it was just like one of those things of like, what were we even thinking about? You know, it's like you, one of those crazy memories. And then, but this was the whole, this was the whole trip, but I'll tell you, Kyle, just getting into this mixture of mischief and skateboarding, super fun memories, but I'll tell you what I remember the, the most and one of my fondest memories of this entire trip was besides all this jackass-esque stuff going on and the skateboarding was it kind of turned out that Jeff did a lot of the driving. It was his car and he was really cool to do that, but it was always the case that Brian and Jad would either pass out from exhaustion or pass out from having drank the most. Jeff had to kind of restrain himself a little bit because he was driving and I would end up sitting shotgun a lot because I probably drank the least. And Jeff was a really smart dude. And we would stay up at night while we were driving from place to place, deep into the night, Jad and Brian asleep in the back seat, have these crazy metaphysical conversations. Like Jeff was really into astronomy. His dad was actually um, a nuclear physicist, I think. 
And he had this fascination with, with astronomy and aliens. And he would tell me about all these scientists that were sort of like super brilliant, but always like sort of set aside by the science community and not taken seriously. And he would tell me all these eerie stories of things that he was learning in college and stuff. And I remember going deep into the night, like the starry sky and him telling me these scary stories and just being like, wow, like he would just hold me, you know, just in total awe with these stories at night. That was probably my greatest memory of like bonding with Jeff over these crazy stories that he would like at one, at one point, like scare me and at the same time fascinate me with which is really kind of a fun memory yeah that's good stuff and that was a fun trip man it was it's amazing we didn't get arrested it's amazing we did make it down to atlanta we found out atlanta was a really cool skate town but also they roll up their carpets at night the cops are very hard on skateboarding down there i'm sure it hasn't changed and um yeah my first time in a lot of those places including richmond which is ironic now that i would be so familiar you know with those places become so familiar with those places over the years but that was a, you know, th- that was a really fun memory for me and still one of my only friend road trips. The Marine Camp in North Carolina, I looked it up for you, is Lejeune. Lejeune, 11,000 acres of Marine-based goodness down there. There you go. Very cool. Dig, my fourth one, I, I, I told you I'd go back to New England. I, I, had a, I wanted to just take a moment to give my love to New England. Having lived mm. there for 10 years in, in two five-year bursts, five years for college, but five years as a kid as well. You know, we didn't have a lot of money when we were up there. Mom didn't. We spent all our time, spare time playing hockey. And I traveled a lot in New England, played hockey in every New England state and also in other states and in Canada. But I have to give it up to New England. Got to give it up to all the wonderful random places that I have seen and been. And we think about Boston, which is a, a wonderful metropolis area, metropolitan area that I lived in Boston for five years, right in the Fens. And in Back Bay, and you think about Providence, which is like kind of a smaller city, maybe a little more financial, a little more artsy. Yeah, cool shows town. there all the time. And of course, you think of Portsmouth, which is probably the coolest town in all of New England, in my opinion, in New That's Hampshire. A great town. Um, Portsmouth is a super neat place. That's a place I would love to have lived. Maybe Beautiful or maybe place. went one day. Still would live. So you think of all of that, and you think of the beaches and. York, Maine, I lived in York, Maine, and just the wonderful Maine beaches, just a different rocky, sandy, cold feel of them, and Rye Beach, and Nantucket, and Cape Cod, and Newport, but what I really love about New England is the interior, and you had brought it up with going to Vermont. I took for granted, I think, as a kid, having just traveled all over those places. I, a lot of people will never go to New England. But I've been to like the most random spots in all of New England and seen some of the most beautiful stuff. And some of it I took for granted, like there's a place called Laconia in in New Hampshire where the the arena, it's so cold and it's in the middle of the woods. It's outside and you just play hockey outside. And it's like, wow, that's awesome. You know, in hindsight, you would just drive into this these woods and you would just play hockey in the middle of the woods, you know, and. And that would be like a small vacation you would take for a weekend as you got away from school and went and played this away game and stayed at a hotel and came home and going up to Vermont and all the winding roads in the White Mountains and in New Hampshire and the Green Mountains in Vermont and the Old Man in the Mountain, which isn't there anymore. People should go look that up if you guys don't know what the Old Man in the Mountain is. It used to be this very specific silhouette that was iconic in New Hampshire when you went around the bend on this highway, on this road you would see the silhouette in the mountains of this old man and it actually crumbled and it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, wow. 
but it's like, I think, you know, when we all did the state quarters, that that is on their state quarter. So seeing all this beauty, this, uh, I remember skipping rocks on random lakes in Vermont and, you know, climbing trees in the woods in New Hampshire and riding mountain bikes in the woods of Maine. And I really love New England. I, I, I think it's full of wonderful people and like a, a wonderful tradition. It is the oldest place in the United States. Virginia is technically older, but it wasn't as built out as quickly as New England was. And it's just, that's like America. And I encourage everyone to kind of go and see it. Because I feel oh, like definitely. that's what I always think of is like, when I think about America, I think of like, I don't know why, but I just think of Massachusetts or I just think of New Hampshire. I don't, I don't really even think of Long Island or New York. I think of Long Island as home. I think of Long Island. But to have this, this and Long Island's a beautiful place, too, although I don't recommend you really go there. I don't know why you would go there um, <laughs> unless you lived there. It's not an insult to it. It's just I don't, you have no reason to be there. But. It's different. I want, I'm glad you brought it up earlier in the Vermont story because I wanted to just kind of give my love to the many, many vacations, hundreds probably that I, t- I took all over New England and saw so much. And I've been in, I'm telling you guys, like I've been, you can throw town names in Maine, New Hampshire at me and Vermont. And I've been like, yeah, I pl- not only have I been there, I probably played hockey in your little ass arena. And how cool is you that? Know, I have all these random shirts too, like Keene, New Hampshire. And, you know, I'm not talking about big places like Concord or Manchester or something like that. You're talking about, like I said, Laconia, Berlin you know, Presque Isle, you know, shit like that. So, you know, Caribou up in North, way, 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 way North Maine. So I wanted to give a shout out to New England as my fourth selection. That's a proper, I like that, man. I like, yeah. that's a proper love letter to New England. That's, that's, and you know, plus you spent time living there. I even spent time living in the very Southern, I would say, area yeah, of New England outside of Hartford. Mm-hmm. You know, just getting into New England, this, the Hartford suburbs, that's actually a good segue, Kyle, for my next thing. We'll stay in New England with this one, actually. Trip to New Hampshire. Now, this could be multiple trips to New Hampshire, but I'm thinking of a very specific trip, especially to New Hampshire. In 1987, I was 14 years old, summer. And to give you guys a little context, our grandma's cousin, Anna, sort of left the hustle and bustle of, of Brooklyn and New York many years prior and settled up with her husband, Gene, in New Hampshire, in the Nashua area. Um, so you had the, you know, near the White Mountains, in the White Mountains, actually, very beautiful place. And our family, Anna was very close to the family. Mom was always very close to her. Of course, grandma stayed very close to her cousin. And that was a great occasion to go up to see them, especially in the summer times. Everybody would take a, a, a yearly trip up to see Anna if she wasn't coming to New York, especially for something. And I remember 1987, Aunt Joni and I, and Grandma and Grandpa took two separate cars. I'm not sure why that was, but took two separate cars up to stay up in New Hampshire, probably for the better part of a week or something. And the first thing I remember about this trip, which is a memory that really sticks with me, is it was the first time, interestingly enough, as a 14-year-old kid, I was pretty old already by that point that I was seriously deprived of sleep. Now, the whole th- the trip was an event. So I was buddies with Aunt Joni. I would stay with her on many a weekend at this age. But I was staying over grandma and grandpa's house with Aunt Joni. Aunt Joni had a, a bedroom upstairs. She was still living there at the time. And I was staying over and we were going to leave in the morning to depart for New Hampshire, which was going to be, you know, what, an eight-hour drive or something. And 
I remember grandma and grandpa imploring us to go to bed, like, don't stay up late. Don't, you know, go get Jack in the box at 11 o'clock at night, like go to sleep because we're going to wake up. I remember this very specifically. We're going to wake up at four in the morning. We got to roll at like five. So uh, we were like, all right, all right, all right. But Aunt Joni was a night owl, which is maybe why she probably imparted that a lot to me. And maybe that's where a lot of mine comes from. She had a tradition, especially around this time. I remember this so vividly of she would stay up until midnight specifically because she wanted to watch. She was in love with reruns of The Odd Couple. And so it was always an event for her to stay up, watch The Odd Couple at midnight and then maybe go to sleep after that. And, you know, we always did the same things. We we're going to go out and get Baskin Robbins. We were going to go out and have snacks, like everything. And Joni was only, you know, she wasn't that much older than me. She's only 13 years older than me. She, she At this age, she was, a, she was super cool. She was in her mid twenties, you know, she was rad. And we would always do this stuff, but we did it. You know, we stayed up to one, one thirty in the morning and I was up at four and it was the first time I ever dealt with that feeling, that hungover, sleep deprived, foggy, I'll never forget it, Kyle. I thought I was going to die. I, I never had that sensation before. You know, now you go through high school, you go through college, especially being an artist. Now my student, entire life is that sensation. Yeah, exactly. Especially being an animator or an animation student. We got accustomed to that when we got older. But as a 14-year-old, I remember being like on my ass. Like I remember that being a very tough trip up to New England. And so Aunt Joni and I, I was sitting shotgun. It was just us in the car. We were probably following grandma and grandpa or they were following us. And I remember like that very specific 14-year-old dig. And I, I was already skateboarding, but I was super corny. You know, I had like the vision streetwear gear and everything was mismatched colors, totally loud, listening to Public Enemy, which I talked about in one of our music episodes. And like a mixture of like Susie and the Banshees or the Sugar Cubes, like my, my music taste was crazy. And, you know, sort of subjecting Aunt Joni to my music and letting her, you know, she letting me play my cassettes and sort of humoring me in the car. That was super fun. And the fun, the, the, the fun part of this trip was being away from mom and dad. I think that kind of felt cool. And I, it was also cool in retrospect to be that comfortable with other family members. You know what I mean? Like I felt comfortable with Aunt Joni and Uncle Mike and Aunt Carla and Grandma and Grandpa like I was with Mom and Dad. And it was already very cool from a young age just being with them without Mom and Dad because you would get spoiled without anybody objecting to it. You know what I mean? You get the treats, you get you get coddled a little bit. Even at that age, you're kind of 14, early teens, you appreciate that. But I remember the trip being really fun because it was a nice blend of back to nature, rural living. Cousin Anna and Jean lived on a really beautiful, picturesque plot of land with a little stream and woods. It was very rural. But it was also kind of a stone's throw from the sightseeing and the shopping and the outlets and the restaurants and mini golf and ice cream and all that kind of stuff. So it was a nice blend of, you know, fishing and that kind of thing and then going out to like a cool restaurant at night. Really nice to have a little bit of a little taste of both worlds, which was fun. And again, you know, just one of those things, a, a really fond memory of being able to spend time with grandma and grandpa, but also the friendship that sprung between Aunt Joey and I, which, you know, as a kid, you don't have any control over that. Like I wouldn't have the friendship I have with our Aunt Joni now had it not been for these formative things. And the, the fact that she did that, you know what I mean? The fact that she did that with me, that she took me under her wing and, and kind of pursued that. And the fact that that hasn't 
abated. You know what I mean? I still have that kind of friendship with her. She's still such a special part of my life. But that was a really fun trip, except for that, you know, hungover feeling of like that first thing that again, like I know I, exactly what you mean. I'm yeah, more, so. I, I have more of those nights now than I have restful nights. But you know, being a kid and going through that for the first time, it's like it's like taking a drug or being hungover or something. It's that same sensation. <laughs> Dude, I'm so tense. Like I got a delivery today and I'm so, but I was sleeping. I, I was like, I fell back asleep. It was like 945 probably. And I'm so tense and so anxious that the, the bell rang and I was like up and like going down the stairs. Like basically while the bell was still like resonating. In no frames, right? You yeah. Just like, there. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm just always ready to go. Like I'm waiting for something bad to happen. Dig, my final memory to share as we wrap this episode up is... We can always do another one of these episodes in the future because there's plenty of more memories. But I wanted to give a shout out to my two my two trips to the South for 311 Day oh. with my three friends, uh, Ramon, my best friend, and then Jay and Gus. Jay and Gus are like the alternate universe, Colin and Ramon. And I think I told you guys. So just to frame it, we'll start at the very beginning. 311 is a band. I'm sure most of my audience, my longtime audience knows. I don't really talk about them too much anymore, but they're my favorite band. They've been my favorite band since... 1996 and i've seen them live like 30 times or something like that but every two years they do a show since 2000 every two years they do a thing called 311 day and it's march 11th and they'll play a random place in the united states and they'll play like for five hours or something like that you know they always put on a great show i would say they put on they play probably particularly like 18 to 23 songs during a regular show during these shows they would play like 70 right and holy shit and it was awesome. Like if you're a th- if you're a fan, th- and I'll also say this: I've seen a lot of shows live, just a lot of random bands. Three Eleven is notorious for mixing it up. They'll play a different set every night, and some songs will sneak back in. You could tell like they were like, "Oh, we should play this," and we have to play our singles and all that. But you could hear anything, and that's like truly exciting. As opposed to like when Green Day plays, they play the same set every night, <laughs> and it's just all their singles and stuff, right? Which is fine. I mean, I understand that too, but. So going to see them is really fun. But if you're a big 311 fan and you're into all their records, you go to 311 Day because that's when you're guaranteed to hear shit you never heard and guaranteed to hear. They'll just play like their B-sides and interstitials and codas and all these kinds of things that it's really cool. And so in 2004, which was the third one, I, I endeavored to go and to, there, it turns out that 311 Day 2004 is maybe the most famous one. They released a DVD, for like a two, two DVD set for it. It's like a notorious 311 show, like a famous 311 show. And Ramon and I were freshmen in college and we went and I bought him his ticket. I lent him money or whatever. And we we went to the airport. I remember we got a cab. We went to the airport. We had no plan. We had like we we're going to stay the days in in New Orleans and then leave the next day. OK. And we went to the airport and we met these two dudes. We had our 311 shirts on and we met these two dudes, Jay and Gus, who were going to the show and they befriended us and they ended up staying with us and we ended up being, we're still friends with them today. I, I, especially I talked to Gus sometimes, but Jay, especially was in LA. I, I used to hang out with them when I was there. Oh shit. All these years later. And, uh, we just had ended up meeting them and they were characters. And I have such funny memories of that first trip because lo and behold, they smuggle like an ounce of weed onto the plane. And when we, we didn't know this, when we get there, they like pull out a sock with like a rolled up bag and they're like, yeah, we, cause we assumed we, we wanted to smoke weed. That's the 311's whole thing. But it's like, we assumed like, oh, well maybe we'll get some there. It's just not important. We're not going to obviously fly with it. These guys had a literal ounce of weed <laughs> with them on the plane. And 
they brought it. And so we stayed at this Days Inn, and I remember it very well. It was this New Orleans Days Inn. This was before Katrina, by the way, which is interesting, too. Oh, shit, and yeah. We stay at the Stays Inn. It's one of those hotels that has like an interior. It's very common in the South, actually. Like, and the doors go to this interior ho- uh, hallway, and like there's even windows out to the hallway, but there's no outside windows oh, okay. for some reason. And so we're boxing this place out, like this this <laughs> hotel room, watching Maury Povich. I'll never like we're getting wrecked watching, and we have a memory where we still bring it up when we talk to each other because there it was. A, Maybe not an appropriate show to do anymore, but at the time, Maury was doing like cross-dressing things. Like, is it a man? Is it a woman? And he's walking by like the people in the audience, like talking. And this one guy describes the mic and says, that's a man, like into the <laughs> microphone. So my friend Jay still says that like randomly, like that's a man, like like at, totally out of context. But we so what's interesting is we end up getting into a cab. We roll a bunch of blunts. We get probably we probably have like 15, like a bandolier. Right. And. <laughs> And we go to the show, which is at this this arena, and there's a line wrapped all the way around, like in like a in a, a spiral around the building. And we, wa- I shit you not, like they start letting people in, and we just walk into the crowd and just walk into the building. <laughs> like no joke, like there are people waiting all day. We're stoned, and like we literally are probably amongst the first few hundred people to walk into the building. Just just walking in, just go in. We sit and we watch the show, this amazing show, and we all go home. What I remember is after the show everything just kind of worked out like we had no idea where we were we just ended up walking down the street after the show got a cab back to the hotel and got out of there then two years later we're still friends with jay and gus 311 is now going to play in memphis okay so we decide that we're going to go to this show this is also an awesome show uh and we drive from boston to, to memphis it is an enormously long drive that's a long drive. and of course just a ton of weed right so we're we're smoking like the entire time down there <laughs> and it's amazing that we like didn't get in trouble the driver's not not really partaking jay and gus are kind of going back and forth but we're just going nuts on this road trip and we have a great time in memphis and we box out that hotel room and we have we go down there and we see the show the same exact thing happens we go to the show late and just walk in <laughs> amongst the fr- it, i shit you not that happened both times like and i felt so bad smooth. about it but i was like i'm not i'm just like i don't know i'm not waiting here to wait because it's it's free seating like it's like you know whatever and we right. wanted we weren't so not the coolest thing to do but th- th- that i wanted to give a shout out to those memories ah. and just how long because you brought up tennessee earlier Ten- we drove to- memphis is in the far southwest corner tennessee is a long yeah. long long state and uh it is long yeah and yes but i i remember that trip really well it was just so funny going to waffle house and sonic and just totally the bunch of kids coming out of a it was like you know my favorite scene out of fast times when spicoli rolls out of the van and all the smoke comes out that was probably us at like every (laughs) every stop along the way it's awesome. It was so it was so fun and it reeked. I remember what I remember is going to the hotel. We stayed at a nicer hotel in Memphis and it fucking reeked like weed in this hotel and we knew we were in the right place. It just reeked. Oh, of course. Like, unabashedly just reeked. Everybody was there for that. Yeah. And it was it was so fun. And it actually in Memphis, we met 311. We went to a bar. This really happened. We went to a bar just walking around and they were all sitting at a bar. Dude, all how five crazy of them. is that? And we got like flip phone pictures with them and stuff. And they were really cool. A couple of them like kind of scattered, but a couple of them like stayed with us and, and talked with us. And it was that's really cool. amazing. So, yeah. So that's that's the last memory as we wrap this episode up that I wanted to, to share with people. 
You and Ramon have to, I feel like you need to do it again. I feel like you need to take another road trip wherever 311 Day is on that year. It's funny, on uh, 2018, I think it was, they played in Vegas, and I tried to get tickets oh, and it sold you guys out. could have done it. Yeah, we, we, I actually had them in my basket. You know, the famous saga of online shopping. It's I awful. had it in my basket and just couldn't check out. Oh. And so we tried to actually go to this 311 Day. But now they like film them in very high quality. And they've basically played during the COVID played all of their re- like old records front to back on and, and like did VODs of them. You can buy them or whatever. And I'm like, oh. once they release that on Blu-ray, I don't know that I need to see them ever again because these are like the quintessential. Although the energy of being in the show. Is, yeah. I mean, I, I do love I do love me some rap rock. You yes, know? you do. So, yes, you do, sir. Well, Dave, that was a fun so fun conversation but let's let's uh, end the episode as we always do with a dad joke yeah that was fun that was really a lot of fun all right my friend here's one for you little off color for knockback oh good but let's try it let's okay. see how it goes sure Kyle what do you call a slutty camera I don't know a loose cannon Oh man, I knew. It was gonna, I was thinking of some like, what is a word for loose? Is exactly the word it's I was not, thinking of. It's not, it's not good. It's not a good. You word. ever think about? I, I, I never thought about that term. Like how vulgar that term is. It's pretty bad. It's fucking vulgar. It's pretty bad. Like loose yeah. women. You don't think about that term. You're like, oh yeah, loose women. Right, right, right. The fuck does that mean? And well, like, let's say and let's that, maybe it's loose morals. Yeah, I, it's not. It, it has is. To do with, it has. It's frankly it has to do with roast beef curtains, and I don't like it. <laughs> oh no! Oh oh! Well, on that note. All right, Dick. It was good to see you, my friend. It's good to be good to with you. all of you out there. Thank you for your love, kindness, and support of all things knockback and last stand media on Patreon at patreon.com/slash last stand media. Get us on Spotify. Get us on iTunes. Do whatever the hell it is you want to do. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Until then, goodbye. <laughs> Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Begele Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Stephen Innerfield, Christopher Nock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Nuclear Prostate, Sword of Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Josh Hallen Rui, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Andy Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle 
Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Fat Houdini, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Kamaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K., Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kidslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholliger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David I. Colucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.